Today is going to be a good day. Do you believe it? Come on. Do you believe it? I'm, I'm ready to jump into this word for you today. Um, sometimes whenever you try to plan these series, these messages, um, you have ideas of what you feel like you need to talk about. But then God has an idea of what he wants to say. And so you got you to gotta defer to the Lord. Amen defer to the Lord. And so um, I have probably rewritten this message about six times. Yeah. And so I figured, all right, I got a lot to say, but I only got a few minutes to say it. But I want you to go in your Bibles today to the book of Acts chapter one, chapter eight, I'm sorry, Acts chapter eight. And we're going to read verse one through 17. Come on, can y'all hang a little bit with some reading today? It's God's word. You can read it. You can follow along, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. This is a, a really tough chapter in the book of Acts, really tough. And, uh, but there are some things in it that we can learn. There are some things in there that I believe God will use to speak to us here today. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It says, Saul wholeheartedly approved of Stephen's death. Now, Saul is soon to be the apostle Paul in the next chapter. A lot can happen in one chapter in the Bible, just like a lot can happen in one chapter in your life. Just because the last chapter didn't look too good doesn't mean the next chapter won't be incredible, all right? So Saul wholeheartedly approved of Stephen's death, and on that day, a great and relentless persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. I told you it was a tough chapter. And the believers were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. And some devout men buried Stephen and mourned greatly over him, expressing a personal sense of loss. Stephen was one of those uh, next generation leaders coming up in the church, and he was martyred for his faith. He was standing up for God standing up for Jesus and building the church. And there was a, a group of religious leaders that was trying to put an end to everything that Jesus had started. And this young man named Stephen just was trying to keep it going. And they figured, we'll kill you just like we killed Jesus. And so they're mourning the loss of Stephen. Verse 3, it intensifies. It says, but Saul began ravaging the church and assaulting believers entering house after house and dragging off men and women, women, putting them in prison. I know you're already sitting there saying, come on, Pastor Wade, we came here for something better than this. I mean, this sounds gruesome. But hang on, we got some work to do today. Verse 4, it says, Now those believers who had been scattered went from place to place preaching the word, the good news of salvation through Christ. It kept going. That's, what, uh, that's kind of what I need you to see right here. It kept going, even though there was some craziness that was taking place. Uh, they began to preach in some new places. In verse 5, it says, Philip, the evangelist, went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ, the Messiah, the anointed to them. And the crowds gathered and were paying close attention to everything Philip said. And as they heard the message and saw the miraculous signs which he was doing, validating his message, for unclean spirits, 
demons. I know I, you're sitting there. I know I, I, if I was sitting there, I'd be like, what is this guy doing today? Like, what's he about to preach on? Follow along because this is going to be incredible. For unclean spirits, demons shouting loudly were coming out of many who were possessed and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great rejoicing in that city. Now, there was a man named Simon who previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all paid a great deal of attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. They thought this man was operating in the power of God, but he really wasn't. It was this, it was this demonic spirit that he was operating in, and he had captured their attention. Verse 11, they were paying attention to him because for a long time he had mystified and dazzled them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, they were being baptized, both men and women. Watch this, verse 13. I couldn't wait to get to this part. Even Simon believed. The one that you didn't think that would believe is now the one who is believing. The, and, and in this story, it's full, of, it's full of this because Saul, the one that you didn't think would believe, chapter 9 of Acts, he believes. Simon, the sorcerer who had this city all in his control, a young man named Philip who was serving in a widow's ministry, that's what he was doing. He was serving in a widow's ministry, gets pushed out of Jerusalem because of persecution, and just continues to do what he knows to do, which is share Jesus. And a whole entire city begins to believe. And not only are they getting saved, but they're also being baptized. It's, it's happening for real. And evidently, his preaching was so good, and possibly the power of God was moving so greatly that even Simon believed. That impresses me. Even Simon believed Philip's message of salvation. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip as he watched the attesting signs and great miracles taking place. He was constantly amazed. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that, the people of Samaria had accepted the word of God. They sent Peter and John to them. And they came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus as his possession. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them one by one, and they received the Holy Spirit. We started out with a city full of unclean spirits, and we wind up with a bunch of people filled with the Holy Spirit. There's some dark stuff in here, but there's some incredible things that God did in here. And I'm praying that God can do some things like that in your life. Come on, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this day, this opportunity to gather together to worship, to hear from your word. And I pray that in this place today that your word will go forth in such a way 
Father, that it will shake the gates of hell. I pray now, Father, that your Holy Spirit will embolden every believer that is in this room, will convict every person that is lost, and bring them home to you today in the name of Jesus. I pray that you, Holy Spirit, will do the work that you do to set captives free, to heal the brokenhearted, to bring life to those who feels like they have no life. Today, Holy Spirit, I ask you to intervene. I ask you to move in every situation, in every person life today in Jesus name amen and amen I've had the opportunity to talk with people through the years and uh, they would come and share what's going on in their lives some of those meetings they're sharing some things that they're celebrating and other times they come and they share some things in their life that are broken some things that are really challenging some things that are hard and and as you sit there with with people your hope is that you can share something with them that helps them to see the possibilities of what god can do in their lives because people need hope whenever things are happening and 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 what i've noticed through the years is more and more as you sit with people and hear their stories it often leaves you in a place where you walk away from those meetings from what you heard and you say what in the world is going on because people are walking through some things that are so intense in their lives and sometimes they share it and sometimes they don't and and sometimes as church we would like to stay away from those types of conversations because we would rather come to church to hear a message that will make us feel better rather than something that will cause change in our lives. Because we know that change means there must be an investment. Am I right? And sometimes that investment is more than what we're willing to pay because it may inconvenience us. It may put us in a place to where we can't live the way that we've lived before, and we like the way that we live. You know what I'm saying? We, we've worked hard to get to this point. How dare you, Lord, come in and challenge what I have built with my own hands. And so as you sit and you hear these stories, you begin to realize that there's literally a momentum that is built in the stories of people's lives from from things going on in our world that we have come to the place to spiritually tolerate. We've got to the place that we will spiritually tolerate some things because it's easier to tolerate it than it is to overcome it. Now, I'm going to mess with you a little bit today, okay? I have to because there, there are some things that people are facing that they they can overcome. Can I say it that way? There are things in your life that you are facing that you can overcome. And the reason that I present it this way is because in our spiritual tolerance for these types of things, we have literally changed our view of God from someone who is able to do miracles, who is able to turn things around into someone who just comes alongside and makes us feel better as we just cope with the mess that we're living with. And so we'll sit in church and we will hear the songs and we love the message of it. And it literally adrenalizes us because it makes us feel better in the situation we are. But we fail to realize the very message of the songs and the very message of the word of God that is being spoken to us to help us to realize that we were meant to live for so much more. And that living life to the fullest looks a lot better than just dealing with some of the mess that we continually deal with year after year, day after day. Amen. 
And so when you read scripture like this, it starts out and it's things that we're not familiar with because we're not really familiar with persecution. In America, we're not really used to persecution. We, don't, we feel like if somebody says something offensive, that's persecution. And we take it personally. We get our feelings hurt. And we do all the different things we do when our feelings get hurt. We go get a group of friends, get them on our side, create an alliance against the other set of people. And we just stay in that little place forever and find people that agree with us and develop our whole doctrinal belief to support that feeling. Come on now. And we forfeit the very power of God that will give us breakthrough in the very situations where our feelings got hurt. The very power of God that is able to do miracles. And we don't like to take, talk about miracles because what if God doesn't do it? What if I pray and nothing happens? What, what if, what, Pastor Wade, be careful talking about that because you're going to get people's hopes way up here. And if it doesn't happen, you're going to let them down. And we don't even realize that we're changing our view of God according to our experiences, overlooking the possibilities of what God can do and failing to realize that our faith level has dropped. Come on. Let's bring down the level of competition so that we can always win. When I was a kid uh, playing uh, neighborhood sports, I lived on family land, so it was against cousins. And if you grew up with cousins, there was definitely rivalry. And if you had brothers, it's even more rivalry. And we had all these rivalries. And, I mean, we were so competitive, it was out of control. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, trash talk was our native language. That's all we did was talk trash. I'm going to beat you. And uh, the two sports that were the, the most intense was basketball. Like, yeah, nothing was a foul. You tackle people in, 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 our, in our league. You know what I'm saying? That's not a foul. If you ain't bleeding, that ain't a foul. And somehow or another, we got into boxing. Uh, it was probably UFC before UFC was here. My mom's going to hear this story. She doesn't know that we did this. Uh, we had two pieces of plywood that we stole out of my dad's shed. And we hauled it up to my aunt's house, and uh, we hid it in the bushes. And over the summer, whenever we were out of school, uh, we lived on family land, so you just run around. I mean, it's family people. And this is, I grew up where your uncle could, could, could spank you if you got out of line and didn't even have to call and talk to your parents to make sure it was all right. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I know many of you, you weren't raised that way. You're, 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 you're already having a hard time with what I just said about the spanking thing. But it helped me, and I need it more. I promise you, I need it more. And my kids need some more, too. And your kids, too. Anyway, we would, we would take this plywood, and we hid it behind the, uh, the, the bushes so that no one would see it. And it was behind my aunt's house. And... and, and we would all get together and we'd pull the plywood out and we, we got some spray paint. We spray painted it, make it look like a boxing ring. And my cousin had a Budweiser towel. And whoever would win the matches got to bring home the Budweiser towel that day. Okay? I don't know what your childhood was like. Mine was awesome. And I'm talking, we'd get out there bare knuckles, man, and just start beating the mess out of each other. It was last man standing. And you had to figure out what you were going to tell your mom if she asked, what's, what's going on with your eye right there? 
and we would make up every story under the sun, and we would just get out there and just start beating each other. And then we, when we would play basketball, we would just, I mean, you get to the point to where there's one person who begins to dominate the whole thing. And thankfully in basketball, I was one of those guys who was able to dominate. In boxing, I held my own. There was a couple of them that could take me. They were older, but other than that, I was handling business. So I figured basketball was my sport. So when I got to high school, my plan was I'm trying out for basketball. Yeah. I mean, I'm dominating in, on, on, in the Moran land. You know what I'm saying? I'm dominating everybody. So I'm going to go try out at the high school. Now, on Moran land, I was dominant. But when I got to the high school, there was a lot more people who had skills than me. First of all, I was 5'2", right at 100 pounds going into high school. Some of y'all saying, what happened? <laughs> I grew and I ate. And I'm still eating. And I remember going to tryouts, Coach Smart, tall, lanky coach. Mr. Moran, you going to try out for my basketball team? Yes, sir, I am. You'd be at tryouts right after school. I remember going out there, and these guys who I went to middle school with, some of these guys came from the other school, and so you kind of analyze them what's out there. And I remember thinking, okay, I could shoot the ball pretty good, but I'm slow. Can't jump too high, but I can hustle. And I'll show up on time. Come on, all the basics, the stuff that we need people to do now. You know what I'm saying? So I'm holding my own. This is week-long basketball tryouts. And every day they start eliminating a certain number of players. Come on, y'all been there before. Some of y'all right now, you got PTSD from getting let go the first day. You know what I'm saying? I made it through the first day. I'm feeling good about this, man. Talking to my youth pastor, he's encouraging me. You can do this. We believe in you. You know, all the right stuff, you know. Go to the next day. Made it through the next day. And this was before they had regard for people's feelings. You know what I'm saying? Like, like y'all, for every young person in here, you do know back in the day when you went to college, there was no online platform to check your grades. They posted it on the door. So if you bombed the, the test, it was right there. And they, like, if you made a 32 on it, it was on the door. So everybody knew. There was no privacy about it. It was just throw you out there and good luck. Y'all know what I'm talking How many adults remember those days? And we're better for it. We're better for it. So um, made it through the second day, made it through the third day, and on the fourth day at lunch, Coach Smart comes up to me, and he says, now, now listen here, Mr. Moran. And I am not making up words. That's exactly what he said. Now listen here, Mr. Moran. I would hate to have your name on the list on my door. Because I like you a lot, Mr. Moran. So why don't you do me a favor and just not come to tryouts today? I was out of my league, y'all. Look, don't feel sorry for me. The Lord had a different path, and I'm all right. My name didn't make it on the list on the door. I wasn't embarrassed. It was all good. But I share that because a lot of times we like to play in our own league when it comes to being spiritual. You know what I'm saying? We're like our own league. We like the stuff that we're the most familiar with. We like the safety of it, and whenever someone begins to preach something that's at maybe another level of what we're comfortable with, then we question it, and we don't think that God works that way because God would only work the way that I would prescribe for him 
to work because that's how I'm most comfortable. And somehow or another has put God in the position that his main job is to make me comfortable. And what's going on with the church at this point, the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts 2 and the church is birthed. This is a brand new thing. People had never seen this before. And the church already has enemies before it was even started because there was a religious uh, system that was in place for thousands of years that saw this new move of God as a rival. It's a rival to them, and therefore they plot it and conspired to find a way to stop it, and they thought they would stop it by killing Jesus. They thought they would stop it by killing Jesus. But they didn't stop it. They actually set it up because that's what Jesus came to do. He came to die for our sins so that we could be forgiven and finally be made right with God without all the crazy rituals that this religious system has adopted and created through all the years. And now instead of having to sacrifice an animal in order to get forgiveness for sins, God sent his son Jesus as the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And he became the perfect ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And he gave his life on the cross. They didn't murder him. He gave his life. He gave it. And why did he give it? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his life so that you and I could be forgiven. And they thought once they killed Jesus, it's over. It's done. We don't have to worry about this anymore. And then three, three days later, he was raised from the dead. And they thought, oh, no, it looks like he's coming back. Oh, but he ascended into heaven. We're good. We're good. Nothing to worry about. But they didn't realize that what Jesus had started was not just meant for a time that he was on earth. It was a movement that would continue on all through eternity. They didn't realize that the followers of Jesus, even though they were fearful, they were meeting together. They continued to meet together. And when they were meeting together, they were in a place where they were desperate because they don't know how to do this now without their leader. And they just killed Jesus. And I don't want Jesus to, I don't want them to kill me like they killed Jesus. So I got to get some help. I don't know what I'm going to do. We're just going to lock ourselves in this room and pray. And in a place where they were locked in a room and praying, the Holy Spirit of God is poured out on them. And I'm not just talking about that was a good service. I'm talking about life transforming miracle happening in their life to where they could not be the same anymore. They changed. There was a boldness now that was about them that caused them to bust out of the doors of this room. And on the first day they step out, the day that the Holy Spirit's poured out, they step out of the room and Peter begins to speak. And as he's speaking, 3,000 people. 3,000 people make the decision, I'm following Jesus. This man they had tried to stop. The movement continues. They still want to follow the one that was crucified. And so the, the, the religious leaders are blown away that the movement continues. And they were trying to figure out more ways to stop this movement. And so great persecution began to take place. And they began to persecute the believers. Persecute them. Not talk about them on social media. Persecute them. Physically hurt them. Physically harm them. Because they were continually representing what Jesus had started. 
you continue on through the book of Acts and you see this begin to escalate. And as it was escalating, you see the next generation of leaders in the church who have this boldness and this zeal. As they begin to go out, the religious leaders were, were so inflamed with their, with their tenacity to bring the gospel that they felt like they, that it's easier to stop them. And so this young man named Stephen, they kill him. Thinking that if we kill him, we stop the whole thing. It's like they haven't learned the lesson yet. They thought if they killed Jesus, it's over. But it just intensified. And now there's persecution breaking out in Jerusalem. And let me explain Jerusalem to you. Jerusalem is a very important place in religion because Jerusalem happens to be the, the, the main place, the center place for many religions throughout the world. There's a, there's a lot of holiness, I guess you would call it. It's the holy city where that, that, that there was religions that were founded right there in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And so these, these disciples, these now are apostles, they felt better. They felt most safe. They felt most, let me say it like this, comfortable in Jerusalem. But Jesus gave them a great commission. They felt comfortable, but Jesus gave them a commission. They felt comfortable in Jerusalem, but Jesus gave them a great commission to go where? Into all the world to preach the gospel to Judea to Samaria. We just read about it. And to all the world. Well, we stay right here because we like it here. It's comfortable. And as persecution begins to arise, and because of the persecution now, they're forced out of their comfort. It's the same story with us because there are things that occur in our lives we didn't see coming, that forces us out of our comfort. Forces us out. And when I look at this, you could say the church was in trouble if you look at it as the glass half empty. But if you look at it as the glass half full, you realize, wait a minute. The persecution is actually moving it forward. See, there was no plan. They didn't know really what was happening. They just know the Holy Spirit was poured out, and it turned them into these bold believers who believed that God could do anything. And they were seeing God work. They were seeing miracles happen. And now the persecution is taking place, and it's pushing them out of their comfort zone. And many times when we're pushed out of our comfort zone, we're trying to find a way to get back to the comfort. And we've said this. I just want to get back to how it used to be. We've been saying that for the last two years. I just want to get it back to the way that it used to be. And it's hard to move forward and get it back at the same time. I just want to get back to normal. I just want to get back to the place where, where, where I'm okay. And so what we're saying is I want to get back to the place where it was comfortable so I don't have to feel the way that I have been feeling with all of the uncertainty. And this is what I need you to see, that God didn't use a plan to move them forward. He used persecution. And so many of us, we want a 10-step plan to moving forward in our own lives only to debate it whenever it's presented to us. But God may choose to use something to push you 
out of your comfort zone. Surely God wouldn't push me. He's a good father. You made your kids eat carrots when they were a kid. You pushed them. They didn't want to eat that. You pushed them. I didn't like them. Still don't eat them. But I was pushed. Is God possibly pushing you into something that is uncomfortable so that he can move you forward? Come on. What did we sign up for here today? Kids are out of school tomorrow, Pastor Wade. You ain't supposed to preach like that. Take it easy on us. How many know what I'm talking about? What I noticed was they were going door to door, house to house. That's what caught my attention. It's going house to house. Because it started out public. It started out public. When they're crucifying Jesus, this is a public scene. When they, when they, whenever they're murdering Stephen, this is a public scene. But they went from public to now private. And they're knocking on doors to go into the homes to take out people in the homes that are believers. And we fail to realize this is a picture of how the enemy operates. He's always trying to get into the home to take out the believer. Listen, do you ever read your Bible and see parallels? Like, you know, like when Moses was born? Like, think about Moses, okay? Moses is this, is this Hebrew child, okay? Who his family is enslaved to the Egyptians. And, and, and at the time, this Pharaoh, this leader in Egypt, is trying to take out all the firstborn children. All the firstborn Hebrew children trying to take them out because there's this sense that something is coming. There's a deliverer that is coming. I don't know who it is, but we're going to find him. And how we're going to find him, we're going to go house to house. And when we find them, we'll take them out. We won't have to worry about the Hebrew children being delivered from the slavery. But Moses' mama was a praying woman. You better thank God if you got a praying mama. Come on, somebody. You got to be a praying mama. And she knew what she had to do. And she put that child in an uncomfortable position in a basket on the Nile River and sent it up the river. And Pharaoh's daughter finds the basket, adopts the child, and says, he will live in our house. What the enemy was trying to stop, God was actually using it to set it all up. Oh, let's fast forward a little bit. Can we fast forward all the way to the New Testament? Because there is a king named Herod who was in charge, who was insecure. He was always worried about another leader coming up and taking his place. And so when he heard the Jews talking about there was a Messiah that was going to come, he got a little freaked out and decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to kill all the firstborn to keep it from happening. The deliverer, Jesus, was coming, and there was an all-out assault to try to stop that one from coming. But we see the rest of the story. They couldn't stop him. Still can't stop Jesus. He's still going. I share that to tell you that there is an enemy that wants to get in your house. Because he's after something that is in your house that God can use to bring deliverance to somebody else. 
He's after something. And I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm saying that to make you aware that there is an enemy that wants to try to take you out in your house. And you can bow up all you want with all your weapons and all those different things. But this is not a physical battle. This is a spiritual battle. This is a spiritual battle. There is something spiritual that is taking place in our world today. And the enemy is trying to come into our homes and everyone is trying to use a political weapon to take it out. They're trying to use emotional weapons and social weapons to try to put an end to it. But none of these things are working because it's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. And some of the things that are going on with our kids and we're saying, what in the world is this? I have never heard anything like this before. It's not just because they were on YouTube. It's not just because they watched that. It's because there's a door that is open that the enemy is getting in to our homes. And instead of approaching it spiritually, We're trying to approach it with all the programs. We're trying to do all the cool things that we read and the 26 steps to raising amazing children and none of it included leading them to Jesus. None of it included their spiritual development. It was all about social development. I don't want my kid to be the one that doesn't fit in. Come on, somebody. Can I preach this today? And so we're in a spiritual battle and yet we're trying to win it, win it with worldly weapons. And the Bible tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly, but they are strong in the power of God to pull down strongholds. But because that's uncomfortable for us, we stay away from it. But you want to see a person become spiritual? It always happens whenever all hell breaks loose in their life. When the crisis starts, now they want to get spiritual. They're Superman Christians. They walk around in the business suit and their glasses and everything is fine. And whenever things go crazy, they got to find a phone booth so they can hurry up and change and put on a whole new suit, acting like a superhero, but there's a problem. The thing they're facing is their kryptonite. And they don't have any power over it. And your suit doesn't help you. You need more than a suit. You need the spirit of God on the inside of you. And the church right here, it has the spirit of God on the inside of it. And for the first time, they're facing persecution. And this looks like it's going to take it out. But what the devil meant for bad, God turns around and uses it for good. Hold on, let me drop another one. For we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God calls us what? All things. Even the uncomfortable. Even the persecution. Even the stuff that wasn't in your plan. Can I pop the bubble and tell you God is not obligated to your plan? Come on. And if your plan doesn't line up with his plan, his blessing ain't on it. Seriously, don't get mad at the preacher. This is the Bible. Come on. Told you, I rewrote this thing like so many times. And I ain't even preaching what I got on here. God has given us his Holy Spirit. Spirit of power, strength, wisdom, discernment. Come on, I, I need you to hear this today. And people are freaked out by the Holy Spirit. They love God. They love Jesus. Start talking about the Holy Spirit. And they judge the Holy Spirit based off of a few crazy Pentecostals. 
They do. And so we live our life in our own strength, but we're fighting spiritual battles and we're trying to win. And, and listen, please hear me. I'm not taking away from education or planning or any of that. What I'm saying is that we're using the wrong weapons. We're using the wrong weapons. We need spiritual weapons. Spiritual weapons to fight off divorce. Spiritual weapons to keep our kids from becoming prodigals. Amen? Spiritual weapons to overcome addictions. Spiritual weapons to overcome these different crazy things that are happening in our lives. It's going to take the Spirit of God. Some of you, you know, we've had some conversation. And we sat there in the conversation and was like, what in the world? is going on and in our mind automatically well we need to get them in therapy and i think they do but good god for this thing to break it's going to take the spirit of the lord amen where is god at in the equation church that's what i'm saying where is god at in the equation of the life that we're building where is our faith at in the life that we're building do we even believe that god can do miracles do we even believe that God can give us a breakthrough? I didn't even tell you the name of the message yet. I forgot. They were waiting to put it up. It's broken to breakthrough. From broken to breakthrough. I'm sorry. I'm caught up with this. From broken to breakthrough. It's a lot of brokenness that was going on in this story. And it literally looked like that's the end. This is where it all ends. But actually, it became the beginning. Because it set them in a place to go places they had never thought they would go before. And can I just tell you, they were not very fond of the city of Samaria. They did not like Samaria. Yes, there was racial tension, but it comes from, uh, it was a group of people that were, they were all Jews, and this branch broke off. Because they didn't like the way it was going, so they broke off and created their own ideas. They created a buffet of belief. A buffet of belief. I don't like that. I like that. I like. I don't like that. I like that. And so many believers today have created a buffet of belief. I love when God talks about comfort, but I don't like when God talks about fighting. I don't like talking about endurance. I like talking about peace. I like talking about blessing. But we have all lived long enough to know that you're going to walk through some things. And it ain't because God wasn't with you. It's because God was with you. And he said, I don't just take you from it. I take you through it. Come on. Take you through it. Take you through it. They didn't like going to Samaria. When they traveled, they would literally go around the city instead of going through it. Let's avoid, watch, let me say it like this. Let's avoid some area that I don't like. And we all have some area in our life that we like to go around. Let's not, let's not, let's not. Mm Mm-mm. Preacher starts talking about it. Ooh, yeah, I got to go. The kids are getting a little rowdy. Kids sleeping in the nursery. We want to avoid 
some area. But what if God takes you out of your comfort zone and brings you to some area so that he can do a miracle? Because that's what was happening here. He did a miracle in Samaria. They had never seen that type of miracle. Because this wasn't with people that they loved. This is with people that were their enemies. And in the presence of their enemies, what does the Bible say? I prepare a table for you. And isn't it something that the one that was preaching was the one that was serving the food to the widows? Don't take for granted where you serve. Because you never know where God will take you with it. In the last 10 to 15 years, the church has shifted to present a message in a more practical way. And it needed it because for so long the church was high and lofty and um, it was over so many people's heads. Um, this morning I was talking with a lady. She was serving, preparing coffee, and we were talking about early childhood church. It just went over her head. And so the church was missing the mark with the message because it was more about our appearance and our tradition and our religion than it was about changing people's lives. That song today, come on, tear down those walls, break down those chains. The religion and tradition. And by the way, people say, why do you say that about religion? Religion is what killed Jesus. Religion is what was persecuting them. And religion is simply man's methods of being right. That's what it is. It's man's methods and plans and traditions of being right. And God never meant for us to be religious. Because there is only one way to be right with God, and that's through Jesus. And that's why we say it's a relationship with God. It's not religion. But for so long, in the religious attempt to be accurate, we missed the mark with people. And so you saw a generation that had become religious, but the next generation behind them were missing. They weren't in church. Come on, some of you know because you came back to church because of that. And there was such a push for spirituality that they were missing the practice. And so what you wind up with is people who give off the appearance, the religious appearance, on a Sunday. But by Sunday night, their practice looked more like a heathen than a believer. Come on, somebody. I mean, they knew all the lingo, knew the way to dress. I mean, not just wear a tie, but wear the tie clip with the cross and the dove on it, man. Rocking this thing today. And you will refer to me as Brother Wade, not just Wade, Brother Wade. Come on, I'm messing with this. And it's this religious appearance that so many young people who were searching for authenticity just wanted to avoid. Because they needed it to work in the everyday practice of our lives. So watch this. That generation has been practicing, but now they're growing up. And we get so caught up in our practice that we're missing out on the spiritual nature of God. We're missing out that God can do a miracle. 
He can do it. Yes, there's three steps. And what has happened is we've put God into place to where it's either you're practical or you're spiritual. And all those spiritual people you got to watch out for because they're weird. But when we're going through hell, call them. They'll pray. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching that thing. And we've turned it into either or. You're either a practical believer or you're a spiritual believer. And if you're spiritual, who knows? My question is, why does it have to be either or? Why can't it be both and? Why can't we be both spiritual and practical? That means you're not weird. Amen? So what if you could sit over there and speak in tongues? Bravo for you, cuz. Can you treat your wife like, uh, right? Come on, somebody. Amen? I'm proud of you that you can speak in tongues and prophesy, but can you love your kids? Woo! I'm glad that you can check off every box on your Bible reading plan. But can you believe God for healing in that situation? Come on. I'm glad that you got eight devotions knocked out and you got them lined up perfectly on the bookshelf in the living room so you can have conversations with your friends. But can you even pray with them about the stuff they're walking through? See what I'm saying? You need the practical and the spiritual. Not either or. And do not identify yourself. Well, I'm just a practical believer. You better be spiritual because you're going to face some area that's going to need a whole lot more than your religion. It's going to need the spirit of God and his power. Amen. Amen. And listen, hold on, hold on before you clap, because I know all the spiritual people like preach that thing, brother. (laughs) As spiritual as you are, you better have some walk behind it. Because you will try to lead your kids with all your spiritual jargon and take them nowhere. And they won't want to have anything to do with you. Come on. This is, this is the real stuff right here. And all of this from this chapter right here. And I want to give you three things because i got to finish. And I'll probably talk about this some more next week. Talking about a breakthrough perspective today. A breakthrough perspective. First thing. We need presence, not just practice. We need the presence of Notice what I'm saying. I'm not saying we need presence, not practice. That ain't what I'm saying. We need the presence of God, not just the practice. We need both. Here's the next thing. We need an encounter with God, not just an explanation of Him. There are so many things I try so hard, just cannot explain it to you. I'm trying. I just can't explain how good God really is to convince you to go all in with Him. And I have found that if you're really, really going to go all in with God, it's going to take an encounter with Him. This is what happened on the day of Pentecost. They had an encounter with God that they could not undo. They couldn't undo it. I'm sorry. i got a lot of scripture I can share with you, but I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit that has put me in a whole nother league now. And it's not a matter of being elite. It's just a matter of closeness to God. That's it. We need the encounter. You look through the Bible and you see these people who had an encounter. Whenever they faced the storms, they were armed with the sword. 
God's word, but there was a spirit about them that was bold. There was a spirit about them that could face a crisis and keep going and see the possibility of how God can turn it around. Can you see the possibility that God can turn it around? Can you see the possibility that God can heal the mental illness? Can you see the possibility that God can heal the cancer? Can you see the possibility that God can help your child with their struggle? Can you see the possibility that God can bring a miracle to your marriage? There was a spirit about them that made them believe at a whole nother level. Third thing, we need power and not just words. Oh, we need word, but we got to have the power of the Holy Spirit because we're facing things we've never faced before. Again, it wasn't a plan that moved them forward. It was persecution. Watch this. Many of you, you came to Jesus not because when you were 19 in college, you sat down and wrote out your five-year plan, and you decided by the time you were 28 with two kids that you would return to church and surrender your life to Jesus and get baptized on the 10-year anniversary and get the t-shirt and eat the cake. You didn't plan that. Chances are you ran into something. You ran into some area that you didn't know you were going to run into. And you need it more than a how-to. You need it more than just a list in your phone. You need the power of God. And because of those situations, you gave your life to Jesus and it turned your life around. It turned your family's life around. When we read stories in the Bible, in the Bible oftentimes what we do is we turn the figures into heroes because they made it in the Bible. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's pretty cool. You make it in the Bible. My name's not even in the Bible. And I preach. You know what I'm saying? I didn't make it. But when you look at stories in the Bible, and you remember their people, you begin to relate. Think about the story of Jacob, who just wanted to be blessed. That's all he wanted. He just wanted to be blessed. And he was so ambitious about it, he lied. That was his plan. He lied. He manipulated. Deceived his father. Come on, man. And he kept going. To the point he wrestled with an angel of God. Just because he wanted to be blessed. And it blows my mind. Why didn't you just ask God to bless you, bro? Why, why are you going to fight the angel? You should have been fighting the devil. And there's a lot of people who are fighting God right now. And you're fighting the wrong one. Come on. You're fighting God over... Come on. He's saying that we need to go to some area. And you don't want to go there. And you're fighting God. And God's like, the miracle's in Samaria. But there's something that occurred in that story of Jacob that I like. Because he was wrestling this angel, and the angel tapped out. Kind of wonder, did, did Jacob beat God? <laughs> or did the angel let him win? 
I don't know. But this is what Jacob said, and I love it. He's like, I ain't letting go of you. You tap out anytime you want, bud. But I ain't letting go unless you bless me. So the angel touched his hip, and he walked with a limp from that day. Don't mess with God. I'm telling you. But then he said, I'm changing your name from Jacob to Israel. Come on. This was what he was after his whole life. It was who God wanted him to be. And so many of us were wrestling with things because we think it's going to help us be who God meant for us to be. It ain't working. Come on. It ain't working. It's time to surrender to God. And when his name was changed, changed everything in his life. Saul that we talked about earlier. Oh, yeah, that day he was, con- yeah, he, that guy, Stephen, take him out and let's go door to door to get the rest of the people because we're going to end this movement. There was no one brave enough to go and witness to Saul because they just thought Saul was going to kill them. But Saul had an encounter with God on his way to Damascus. And he fell off his horse and a bright light shined. Don't make fun of me, Jeremy Thorpe, for how I say horse. I saw you as soon as I said it. And the guy that was heading to Damascus to terrorize the church, that day became an important figure to take the church to places it had never ever been before and I don't think any of the leaders of the church had it in their plans to get Saul they were probably figuring out how do we take this dude out but God and I look at these stories and I just wonder if God did it with them what could he do with you what could he do with you if you can just believe that God can do it. And what if God doesn't give you the breakdown of how he's going to do it? Are you okay with that? Can you be okay if God doesn't give you a line-by-line essay of the exact moment, time, step, procedure, people, but he just says, it's finished. What if he just gives you a word That's it, just a word. That word will take you so far. I'm sharing this message today because I believe people need breakthrough in their lives. They need breakthrough. It's time for the church to break through the comfort. It's time for the church to break through the things that have held them in bondage for so long. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Jesus, today we need you. We need an encounter with you. We need you, Holy Spirit, to give us breakthroughs with our health. We're thankful for medicine, but God, we need a miracle. God, we need breakthroughs in our marriages. Thankful for counseling, but we need we need we need some marriages healed. Father, we need breakthroughs raising kids. We're thankful for education. But God, we need wisdom. We need the Spirit of God to set the culture of our homes. 
So today, Father, I pray that once again, you pour out your spirit on the church. Come on, everyone's standing with your arms raised to God. Father, I ask you to pour out your spirit on the church. God, we're thankful for the practical, and we need it. But, Father, we need your spirit, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Father, I'm asking you to pour out miracles, 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 and breakthroughs, Father. I'm praying for boldness to arise in your church. I'm praying for a new spirit, a confident spirit, standing on your word, trusting in your promises, Father. I pray today, Father, Lord, for encounters, encounters, God, spiritual encounters that awaken us to believe that causes us to stand with boldness even in the face of persecution even in the face of the worst news ever father today i'm praying father that you will awaken the spirit inside of your church let your word be on our lips let your worship be our sound but let faith be our attitude Faith, trusting, and believing in you. Breakthrough. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're away from God today. God is saying it's time to come home. It's time to give your life to Jesus. It's time to repent. Turn from your sin. Turn from your way of living and follow Jesus. Turn from your ways of trying to be right and follow his way of being. If that's you, I want you to lift a hand. And you know who you are. God's dealing with you right now. Who else? God's dealing with people in this room. And you know there's, there's someone running from God. You've been running. You've been running. And you were like, God, give me a sign. If this is really you, give me a sign. And as soon as I said you've been running, you know that's you. You've been running to try to heal a wound that only he can heal. And he said, it's time to come home. It's time to come home. The voice of the Father is speaking today. It's time to come home. It's time to close the door on that way of living. It's time to close the door, and it's time to come home. Who else? Anyone else today? I'm away. I'm running. It's time to come home. Anyone else? Maybe you're watching online. It's time to come home. I want to lead us in this prayer. You repeat it after me. Mean it with your heart. Say, dear Jesus, thank you so much for willfully going to the cross to take the price, to take my punishment for my sins. Today I make the decision to turn from my ways and trust in yours. I open my heart and I invite you in. I confess with my mouth that you are my Lord and Savior. I confess with my heart that you are my Lord and Savior. I trust you. I will believe you. I will follow you. I will obey you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making me a brand new person. I surrender my life to you now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, put your hands together for him.